IIT alumni and their families joining from Singapore and in India. We have registrants from Australia, Japan, across the ASEAN countries, Middle East, and I believe even from UK. So there have been lots of interest from many different walks of life. And the IIT Alumni Association is happy to have everyone join and learn about the Indian scientific heritage. We are thankful to our gold sponsors, ICICI Bank and Optimum Solutions. Our silver sponsors, SDFC, Hugs Epigram, Strategile, and Agrud. Without their support, this and other events of the IIT Alumni Association would not be possible. One important request, please type in your questions in the Q&A section on the bottom of your screen in the Zoom uh, box. We have uh, shared with you brief profile of the author Ganesh, Ganesh Swaminathan, when you registered. So I will not repeat it verbatim. He is my senior from IIT Delhi. We recently got connected and realized we are lots of common friends from his career in HP and outside too. So let me welcome our guest, Ganesh Swaminathan, the author of From the Beginning of Time, Modern Science and Puranic Universe. Ganesh, welcome to the IITAS event. Thank you very much, Venkat. Uh, thank you very much. First off, thank you very much for taking time of on your weekend to have this interview with me. And I'd like to thank the um, IIT Alumni Association of Singapore or, for offering their platform for us to share this interview with a lot of our friends and, and, and family. So thank you very much, I greatly appreciate it. Our pleasure, Ganesh. Uh, you know, a weekend or a Saturday afternoon is nothing. I admire you for taking out eight years of your life to study the Puranas. I mean, even for IIT, you took only five years, right? <laughs> and then two years to write this book. You know, for me and many people that I know, Amar Chitrakata was our only source of everything wise and wonderful about Indian heritage. That's true. Right? So hats off to you for your labor of love to do a comparative study of the Puranas, modern astronomy, astrogeology, etc. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely recommend the book to you all viewers. Ganesh's book will be available in Singapore through our sponsors, Hugs Epigram at their cafe and bookstore at the URA building. And I understand in India, you can order it via Amazon. And I guess it's available in other parts of the world also via Amazon. Ganesh, is it open? That's true. It's listed in the US, UK, uh, um, Germany and Australia and Singapore, obviously. Awesome. Awesome. So I read your fascinating book from the beginning of time, modern science and the Puranic universe. So I strongly felt that you should share with the viewers today about your research and some interesting parts of your book. So okay. Ganesh, how did it all start for you? And, you know, give us a flavor of what you readers can expect from the book. So let me, so, so wonderful question. So I, I, I think it's not a very um, intuitive book, give just like what you said, it's not something that it's not just the Amar Chitrakatas in a, in a different format. Right. So what I did was I put together a very short presentation um, on, the, on the book and let me go ahead and share my screen and I'll 
it'll give a lot of the viewers who are not familiar with the book a sense of uh, some context of what we're planning to discuss in the, in the next uh, short few minutes. Sure. There we go. So can you see my screen? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the book is, is titled from the beginning of time. And when we think of the Puranas, we think of, uh, we think of religious shlokas, we think of stories of religious merit, we think of stories of moral value, but very seldom do we think of, of science itself. <clears throat> so uh, let me introduce the topic to you very briefly. Um, the first thing that I want to share with you is about Puranas and the nature of scientific inquiry. So the Puranas say that the uh, scriptures are one of the four sources of knowledge and the other three being inference, perception, and reasoning. And they say they should be tested before acceptance. So not very, uh, it doesn't look, it doesn't jump off the page to you. So let me walk you through the uh, verse. It says the learned man should comprehend and retain in belief by, me, uh, by means of scripture inference, perception and reasoning after testing intelligently and carefully. So you can see the name of the Purana is here, the book of the Purana is here, the section, chapter, and the verse number. So anybody that wants to do, go back and understand this a little more has the option to do so. But I thought this was an amazing proposition for a text that we consider canon. So most uh, texts that are canonical rely on unquestioning faith for their acceptance. So, uh, and here is a text that says that, it says two things. It says the scriptures are one of the, um, one of the sources of knowledge, not the only source of knowledge. And the second thing it says that everything, including the scriptures, should be tested before acceptance. And so I thought um, that was a that was a very profound remark about the nature of knowledge itself as the Puranas view it. And the other thing that I thought was interesting was that it it parallels the scientific method. So um, many of us would be familiar with the scientific method. It basically consists of uh, three steps uh, or three steps or four steps. You have a hypothesis based on uh, which has a few predictions. <coughs> Then you test those predictions with either by gathering evidence or by running an experiment. And only if the experiments and the gathering of evidence matches the hypothesis of the prediction, do you accept it, right? So that's the scientific method that has served us for the past few centuries. And, uh, and it's basically evidence-based. It's not faith-based, right? And here is the Puranas that talks about the same scientific method in a very elegant, in a very elegant verse a couple of thousand years ago, right? So it's not just that it is aligned to, but it's actually prescribing the scientific method that we use today for the adoption of knowledge. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. So it kind of sets the stage for some of the aspects that are to follow. So I'm gonna to talk to you about three aspects. The first one is the um, uh, units of length, uh, um, evolution along with society. I'll talk to you about the Earth and uh, a feature of the Earth is the undersea volcanoes. And I'll talk to you about the Sun, which is the red giant uh, state, phase of the Sun. <clears throat> Let's talk about the units of length. <clears throat> so the Puranas don't just list out the uh, units of length. They talk about it in the context of the development of society. So if you look at man living and have, having a nomadic life, after his nomadic life, they first live in hamlets, so they, in a collection of habitation huts or something, so that they can protect themselves from the weather, from wild animals, and so on, right? And then, once agriculture takes place, then they organize themselves into a village. 
And then the next stage is the town, right? Where there is a, a security, markets, uh, political structures, it is a king and so on and so forth. Everything comes together in the town. And the Purana says that initially the units during the stage of the Hamlet were based on the human body, right? It says after measuring with their own fingers in the beginning, they made thereafter other units for the sake of measurement, right? So, um, so you, and thereafter you see the units, you have the Angula, the Pada, the Vitasti, the Hasta, and the Dhanu. And these are all uh, body measures that, they are, that, they are, that have been used um, to establish units of measures of length, right? So quite interesting. We go to the next uh, unit of measure, which is the Krosa. And um, the Krosa is actually used even today in some of the rural areas and it's called the Kos, and it's 2000 Dhanu. Now the Arthashastra actually defines the kosa, uh, the dhanu, as the distance of a cow's moon. Right, I thought it was a very fascinating description, and basically it talks about a very agrarian, uh, agricultural-centric uh, definition usage of the of the of the of the unit. And then we have town planning, right? And that's the next unit, which is uh, four kosa. That's about eight thousand dhanu. And then for this, the, uh, the Purana says, with the Yojana as the unit of measurement settlements, that is colonies were made thereafter, right? So it talks about not just colonies, it talks about development of forts and fortresses and so on and so forth. And so the next, large, next larger unit of uh, settled society was made. And what is interesting is that the word Yojana in Sanskrit translates to plan. And it so it fits into this concept of planned townships or planned, planned habitations um, for a large, for a large society. So very fascinating insight that is offered uh, in the Puranas on the development of the um, of uh, units of length. Let's go to the earth, right? Um, and the um, undersea volcanoes of the earth. <clears throat> so uh, the earth and the Puranas, the, the Puranas are a text which are, you know, about 2000 years old, right? They are, um, there are people that, uh, that are dated between 500 BCE to 500 CE, right? So 500 AD. So I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but about 2000 years old, let's just say, right? Most of the text from that time used to describe the earth as being flat, right? So either flat and circular, or in some cases, flat and square and surrounded by water. A very strange uh, description. The Puranas describe not only the shape, the spherical shape, it describes the size and it describes the geography of the earth. So it describes the sphere, the spherical with the circumference and some specific specifics about mountains and rivers and other geographical features. Interestingly, they describe the Americas long before they were discovered by the, you know, the explorers that we, that we have learned about uh, earlier. But what I found interesting was that it describes the interior of the earth as well, something that we have um, learned very quite recently. So let me talk to you about that. <clears throat> so if you look at the structure of the earth, it's basically composed of three parts, the core, the mantle, and the crust. And the crust is where we live on, right? It's, it's thin, about 35 kilometers uh, thickness, but it's very thin, especially at the ocean beds. It's about three to four kilometers thick, right? And below it, you have the mantle, which is basically rocks at very high temperature. And anytime there's a, there's a break in the crust, the mantle either oozes out as lava uh, or as a volcanic eruption, one of these two things, basically. So um, the longest chain of mountains in the world is not the Andes or the Himalayas. It's actually a chain of volcanoes on the seabed. And it's about 40,000 kilometers long. 
it's called the ring of fire and it's called the circumpacific uh, circumpacific belt because it's a belt around the Pacific Ocean and you'll see it on a map in a, in a couple of minutes. So the Puranas uh, recognize the region of high temperature, the mantle between the, uh, beneath the ocean floor, and they and they are referred to in the translation submarine fire and called the Aurva. Right? One of the verses describes what would happen to the Earth's crust if it's exposed to the mantle. Right? And uh, uh, this is interestingly a conversation between Shiva and Lord Shiva and Parvati, and he's explaining, and Lord Shiva is explaining to Parvati what would happen in such a situation. And it says, um, then, the, um, then the ocean, the Lord of the rivers get dried up on being uh, drunk by Aurva, the submarine fire. So basically what would happen is that uh, if the earth's crust cracked, uh, then the waters would get would be in direct contact with the mantle and they would evaporate. Right? There's, there's, uh, there's sufficient um, um, evidence of this having happened in the past and they're all dry up. And so this is an amazing amount of insight that a text of this age should have. There's another verse again, which says uh, in the Brahmanda Purana, which says that the, it describes the Aurva as uh, having the face of a mare. It says the submarine fire has the name Aurva and it has the face of a mare. And you can, so this is the circumpacific belt that I spoke to you earlier. And you can see um, the, the part next to South America is the hind legs of the mare. And the part next to Australia looks like the four legs. At the uh, northern Pacific is the body, and the snout is somewhere in the um, south uh, southeast Asian region. So, quite an astonishing correlation for for a feature that is that we cannot see today. Right? It's it's under the uh, it's under the it's at the ocean floor beneath, beneath the oceans, and yet it's uh, pretty uh, clearly described. It's quite interesting. Um, I, I'll go next to the sun, right? So we talked about the earth, we talked about a concept, the unit of land, we talked about the earth, which we live on, and this is about space. And this is about the sun and the red giant state of the sun. So a lot of you may not be familiar, but I will give a very quick primer to get you uh, going. So um, the sun um, is one of the billions of low mass stars in the universe. It's, um, it's the host star for our solar system and it's the source of all the energy in the solar system, the primary generator of energy in the solar system. And it's in the core of the sun where the energy is generated through the process of nuclear fusion. Now that's the understanding by uh, science today, right? And this is a region of very high temperature and pressure, a temperature getting into uh, 10 million degrees Kelvin and uh, which, which enables the fusion to take place. And the shell that surrounds it is where the energy is transferred outward through basically through convection and uh, uh, radiation. So as for modern science, uh, the life cycle of the sun can be broken up into five different phases. There is a, there's a birth of a star, um, birth of the sun, like a low mass star. Interestingly, it has a young star stage. Right? Uh, it's, it's interesting to note that even stars have a juvenile stage where they are extremely active and, uh, and so on. There is the current mature stage, which is about four and a half billion years old, and it's expected to continue for another three to five billion years, after which the sun transitions into what is called the red giant stage. And then it collapses to the white dwarf, which basically signals the, um, uh, the death of the star. Basically, right? So we will talk about just the one, the red giant stage, and I will go back to the whole thing in a minute, but just very briefly. So in about three to five billion years from now, as I mentioned, uh, what happens is that the hydrogen in the core gets exhausted. So all of the hydrogen in the core gets converted to helium, 
right, through fusion. So all the hydrogen atoms fuse and become helium. And now the sun can produce energy in two ways. The, the helium in the core can now fuse to form carbon. So helium with an atomic number two or two helium atoms with atomic number two can fuse to form one carbon atom of atomic number four, right? And then um, in addition, the hydrogen in the shell can also fuse to form helium, right? Because there's a lot of heat that's already been generated. As a result of these two processes, what happens is that the sun grows enormously in size. And uh, Venus and Mercury, uh, quite surprisingly, get absorbed into the, the disk of the sun. So you can see in the schematic here, you see the red giant uh, sun. And right, it, right next to it, you see the Earth and all the other planets. The uh, Venus and Mercury are no longer seen. And, and this is not just, uh, um, just an estimate, just a thought, right? It's not just modeling. There is actually some computer modeling that this is derived from. So as per current computer models, the surface of the red giant sun comes up very close to the Earth. And the Earth is literally burnt by the sun's heat. So it's so close to the Earth that it's expected to be so close to the Earth that it's literally burnt by the sun's heat. And not just the heat of the sun, but from the solar flares that come up from the surface of the sun. So they, uh, they, they emerge from the surface of the sun and travel millions of uh, kilometers into space. And they wrap themselves around the Earth and literally fly, fry everything on the surface. Right? And as a result, there is hot rock and lava on the earth and, uh, and the mantle breaks through the earth's crust and it almost looks like the, the earth is, uh, will glow. And here is an artist's impression of the earth uh, next to a red giant sun. It is from Wikipedia. It's close to a red giant sun, it's from Wikipedia. And you can see, you can see the mantle glowing and you can see probably, um, and the rest of the earth is absolutely bare. Obviously there's, there's nothing that can survive this kind of so let's see what the Puranas have to say about <clears throat> the Purana, just like the uh, just like modern science is a term for this called the red giant sun. The Puranas have a term for this called, and they call the sun the Sambartika Aditya. Sambartika means destruction or annihilation, and Aditya is of course the sun. And so the verse goes: When the end of Kalpa arrives, end of the Kalpa arrives, the sun of seven rays assumes the form of Sambartika Aditya, the sun of final annihilation and burns down the three worlds. Right? So it's a it's a very clear it's very clear what the what the sun is doing and you know what the impact on the earth is. What I want to emphasize is this is not just a stray verse in the Brahmanda Purana. There is a passage of almost twenty five verses, and um, I'm not going to tell you all the verses because it would take too much time. But I'm going to give you a sampler of these verses so that you can get a sense for the detail that's going. So um, initially, as the sun begins to grow in size, the earth gets hotter, right? And as it gets hot, hotter, you have a drought on the, um, on the planet, right? And so it says, then a continued drought starting, lasting for 100 years takes place, living beings deficient in strength become dissolved and get mingled with the dust, right? And so it says, basically, it describes the, uh, the beginning of the, um, uh, of, the, uh, of the drought on the planet Earth. Then it goes ahead and says that the uh, rivers and the oceans dry up. It says the sun of seven rays that blazes in the sky, sucking up water, drinks up water from the great ocean. And then it says the soil and the rocks uh, lose moisture. It says being burned by the brilliant flames, the earth, including mountains, rivers, and oceans, become bereft of moisture and visibility. 
And finally, the Earth is described as glowing from the heat of the sun. It says, getting the fiery splendor transmitted to it, the entire universe slowly assumes the form of a huge block of iron and shuns that. Right? So it describes as shining. And this is what we saw in the illustration a few slides back. And this is exactly aligned with modern science. So it's an amazing correlation. And it's not just the red giant sun, it's the, um, it's the, the, the next phase is the white dwarf phase where, where all, the, all the water that has evaporated from the oceans in the, uh, is in the atmosphere starts to um, form huge clouds and rain. Going back, there is the birth of Martanda. You know, uh, uh, the word Mar uh, Martanda is, is exactly broken up of two words, uh, Mrita, which means death, and Anda, which is fear, which means the, a star is born as a dead uh, sphere of gas because at that stage it is not emitting any heat or light. And then, then it describes this uh, state of a young star as the marriage of Samdana and the sun god Vivaswan and the maturing of the sun god Vivaswan after, after his marriage to Samdana, right? Just like you know, uh, young people mature after marriage. The current mature stage of the uh, sun is described in, uh, in a nice story of the Surya Jayanti and the water cycle. So very good uh, description there. So you can see that each of the five stages of the sun's life is, is very clearly mapped with either descriptions, as in the mature stage, the red giant or the white dwarf, or in stories and allegories in the birth or the, um, of the life of the young star. So I thought this was a phenomenal correlation. Most of us don't even know that the sun has, uh, has a life of five stages. And you know, that's, not the, that's not the purpose of our life. We are doing other things. It's amazing that a 2,000-year-old text can map this out in such detail. So the, it doesn't just talk about the space um, and geosciences. Uh, it talks about the Earth. It talk, like I said, it, talks, it not only talks about the geography of the Earth, it talks about events in its past, such as the descent of Ganga. So the descent of Ganga is actually the origin of the Earth's waters. It's a fascinating story in itself. It talks about the Brahmanda, which is the Bhumandala and the Loka. And it, there's a very complex story of the sun, its origin, its disappearance, and its re reappearance in the churning of the Chiro Vasata. Right? And it, it's given, a lot of this is discussed in the book in the beginning of time. But more importantly, the Puranas have a lot more than just cosmology. They discuss everything from the science of music to medicine, right? And so it's a veritable treasure of knowledge, and it is something that, you know, that's a part of the heritage of not just us Indians, but of mankind in terms of knowledge. In closing, I'd like to add a couple of things. First thing is the aspects of Puranas that are completely aligned with science, with the life cycle of the sun, be treated as a part of the history of science, right? When, we, these, when these texts were uh, translated about uh, you know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago, we didn't know about the life cycle of the sun to be able to make these correlations, right? And those that are similar to science, but not identical, such as the uh, origin of the moon and the origin of the moon, we still don't know yet, for sure. There are many hypotheses out there. What the Purana suggests could be one of the hypotheses that we test before it's happening. And finally, what I'd like to add is that our ancient Indian texts are known for ritual and devotion. They are known for their exposition of the karma and the bhakti marga. The Indian text should also be known for knowledge, for the jnana marga, specifically for vijnana. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, with that, I hope I've given our uh, viewers a flavor of the book, uh, Venkat, and I'll, um, I'll now hand it back to you for the rest of the discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Ganesh. That was a wonderful, wonderful presentation. You know, thoroughly enjoyable. 
got a great flavor, you know, um, good breadth. And having read the book, I know that there is, there's much more uh, details uh, in the book and a lot more that you cover in the book. So that was awesome to give a, you know, a parallel, sort of a blow by blow parallel of like, you know, here is what the Brahmanda Purana says, and here is what uh, the, the modern, uh, you know, scientific publications, you know, astronomical journals, what are they talking about and so on and so forth. Um, awesome presentation. Uh, my request to the audience uh, before we move into the to our discussion uh, phase is please type in your questions in the Q&A section below, right? And uh, so meanwhile, uh, I'll try to explore a little more so that you can know more about the book and Ganesh's research in the, in the, you know, in the next segment. So let's dive into it uh, ganesh uh, you know in your presentation and towards the end you talked about like very long periods of time um, you know referred to as yugas and kalpas billions of years you know in uh, so when uh, and you you brought it up in the context of describing the life of the sun so in terms of measuring time you mentioned in the book that uh, Puranas also have a name for like a fifth of a millisecond on the one end and these, uh, you know, yugas and kalpas on the, on the other end. Why were the ancient Indians fascinated with times at these scales? That's, that's, that's was like sort of a, you know, thing that pops out of my mind when you, when you're talking about this. That's a very good question. Uh, very good question. And, uh, Long before I read the Puranas, um, I, I, I thought about this question. Like, why? So, when we think of any text written 2000 years ago, we think of a very agricultural civilization, right? Uh, a civilization primarily centered on agriculture. Right. And you wonder why would this, why would anybody in an agricultural civilization need to count to a billion of anything, right? Specifically about time. So, I, I just want to add one thing, Vikrant. Uh, there's a there's very little even though the smaller units of times with the tuti and the lava are mentioned there's very little discussion of them the almost entire amount of discussion is in the larger units of times with the yuga and the kalpa and 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 so you, i used to think about it why would why would an agrarian civilization want to know about time in billions of years what's the value to anybody right? and uh, as i now as i read the puranas it becomes obvious that the only natural cycle that we are familiar with today that that requires billions of years is the life cycle of the sun right that's the only thing you know there's nothing else that of any i mean that of any knowledge that we can have that that runs into billions of years now how they found this knowledge of uh, the life cycle of the sun i actually have no idea i'll I just want to stick that stick that up front but if you want to quantify and speak about it or have a discussion about it, you need the notion of a kalpa, which runs into 4.3 billion years. So that's the best answer I have for it. But it's a very, very valid question in terms of uh, you know, why, why would they have such, uh, such large numbers? Yeah, sun, the life cycle of, a, of the sun, correct, you know, easy, easiest one that we can relate to. But I guess, broadly speaking, the stars in general, right? Correct, correct, correct. Right, right. So um, you have spent last quite a few minutes, you know, in your presentation as well as in, in answering this question on on pretty esoteric stuff. You know, uh, let me bring you down to, to 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 the earth. You know, you say that pi, 
the constant which we used in school geometry was described with 99% accuracy <laughs> right and you mentioned a book called surya siddhanta um and you said that that also even talks about the sunrise and sunsets across various continents not just india come yes. on come on ganesh <laughs> tell us you know about so, what are these interesting things that you read and about the surya siddhanta how old is this so the surya siddhanta so um so let me back up a bit right so uh, i was shocked when i first read this i, I think i i mean i'm i'm not just a scholar i'm a reader just like everybody else in this in the audience here so when we when we grow up you know we you ask when you're asked about you know what is india's contribution to 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 mathematics they say oh well india contributed zero and there is very little else to know beyond it so kind of you shake your head and move on saying okay that must be quite valuable right now here is a text so the surya siddhanta is a text that is contemporary to uh, the purana the scene is contemporary about 2000 years old without getting you know getting into the last uh, century or so so um and there is a verse in the surya siddhanta which talks about the uh, the earth the surya siddhanta primarily talks about the earth and the stars basically right? surya is stars and so it talks about cosmology and and the size of the earth there is a there is a there is a verse there which says um you to compute the circumference of the earth you take the diameter multiply it by 10 uh sorry take the diameter square it multiply it by 10 and take the square root and this thing just completely threw me off so uh, there is a text that is 2000 years old that is talking about a square root right how on earth can that even be possible so in first in terms of asking answering your question if you take a square root of 10 and you compare it to the value of pi which is 3.14159 and so on it is an um it is a 99% plus um approximation of that number more importantly how did i mean how did this concept of a square root exist 2000 years ago it just i mean it doesn't add up to anything that we learned in school or anything of that sort and this is a word so it's a, it's a specific computation there is no allegory or a story or a king or a queen or nothing of that so it's a very simple one you know two uh, one sentence words so uh, so and just to put it in context right before this we were aware of the um roman system of notation which is you know you have sticks so just imagine you write a large number in the roman system of notation and you try and multiply two large numbers and just you can spend the rest of the week doing it right assuming that there is an elegant way of doing it i i don't i can't I'm, i'm sure there is a way but i can't even imagine how you do a square root of a roman uh, roman numeral so it's not obvious to me so not only does it describe the value of pi in a very and it, there is no it's not like there is it's a revelation or something it's a very ordinary phrase verse that you come across and that just says it very simply and if you're not looking for it you can miss it and say yeah you just said something right but it talks about a square root it talks about an accurate computation of the ratio of a diameter of a circle to the circumference of the circle it just goes to show that we have we have not been sufficiently educated about the about the depth of mathematical knowledge that our ancients had uh, you know that's coming out as i'm reading more and more about this i hope so I great uh, you know and it was not only pi right um, you know you you referred to another similarly named book called siddhanta siromani where you talk about uh, verses from concept of gravity 
right? Correct, correct. So this is a different book, right? That's a different. So, um, so maybe, I, maybe let me uh, kind of back up again. So um, the, um, the Surya Siddhanta talks about a spherical earth very clearly, right? It doesn't talk, it doesn't, there's no allegory or anything. It says that um, it talks about the circumference of the earth and it says that uh, as a circle, and then it says that there are continents in four different corners of this, uh, of the, of the circle. And when you have sunrise in one place, it's high noon in another place, and it's evening in the third place, and so on and so forth. It just describes the entire uh, movement of the earth. More importantly, it talks about the North Pole being north of all of these points, so just like you see on a spherical surface. So it talks about a sphere very clearly, very explicitly, right? There's no stories or no allegory or anything. Now, it's important to understand you can only have a, uh, you can only have a notion of a sphere if you have a notion of gravity. Without that, people at the southern hemisphere will kind of fall off the, you know, the planet, basically. And so the, um, uh, the Surya Siddhanta is a very simple verse saying that, um, you know, people can stand on the earth on whichever part of the earth they are, they're, they are right? So it says very distinctly and then it moves on. It doesn't describe it in any great detail. So the Surya Siddhanta also talks about gravity and it talks about uh, the spherical earth. The Siddhanta Siromani, which is about 300 years later, so long before Newton came up with the, you know, the theory of gravity and the equations, uh, it talks about the property of the earth to attract objects to itself, right? And, then, and it, it, this is in so many words. It, there's, there's again, no allegory or no story or anything. It talks about it very explicitly. And so I think what it does is it reinforces the idea that the, our, our ancients in their texts knew about, um, about gravity and how to describe it. Now, I, want, I don't want to take, Newton was a giant in physics, right? Like, so he formulated the laws of motion. He tied it up together with the, in the notion, with, the law, with the law of gravity, the equations for gravity, got the gravitational constant and so on. But I just want to uh, highlight the concept of gravity was known in, the, uh, was known in ancient India, in some of the ancient Indian texts. And uh, I thought that was quite a revelation for me. Yeah, I mean, so so we knew and we described gravity very clearly uh, before the apple fell on the Englishman's head, right? Yeah. So, okay. so, 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 so you know, so this is a myth that like like uh, whether it even whether it fell on his head or not, but that's the story that has that's been always story. fed into it. If we're going to be taught stories in science, then might as well, like you know. So, but this is awesome, and uh, so so what I take away is that you you differentiated so far about the Siddhantas and Puranas. So should we say that like Siddhantas were for Siromanis or AKA scholars, scholars and uh, Puranas were for the plebeians? Very well so, said. That's a, that's a very good uh, separation to make because the Siddha, if you look at the Surya Siddhanta, it has equations, right? And no ordinary person is interested, at least 2000 years ago would have been interested in equations. Like but as if they were there interested now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but a scholar requires the precision. They don't require stories. They require the precision of the equation to be able to calculate precisely. Whereas the Puranas were for two things, were for a lay person or non-scholar to understand the world, number one. Number two, to be able to communicate it to other people who might be interested through the stories. So the Puranas contains both the science and the stories through which they can be communicated out to a broader audience. So, so for so the they, common people, they could say like, okay, take it as three. 
and yeah, for other people, like, hey, you know, you need it in 99% accuracy if you well do said. anything with. Uh... Very well said. So the so, so the Purana actually has a verse which says, the um, the di the diameter of something is x, right? It, it has a, a, a number, and then it says the circumference the circumference or what is called the girth is three times the diameter, right? And so for most people. It's good enough. It's like 95% accuracy. You know, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to explore this a little more, but they leave it at that level. The Surya Siddhanta, it's very precise. It's just amazing the precision that you see in the Surya Siddhanta. Awesome. Quite yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so let's, you know, we have discussed pi, we have discussed gravity, things from school physics, uh, but let's, let's take it to a higher plane, like, like, uh, um, you said that, you know, you, you talk about in the book about a very beautiful Puranic story, right? About which you say is actually about time dilation, which actually is a concept from Einstein's theory of relativity. <laughs> Purana, Einstein's yeah. theory of relativity, <laughs> time dilation. Yeah. You know, kya no, betreo, yaar? So, <laughs> so see, put yourself in my place when I'm reading the Puranas. And, you know, you just blows my socks off every time I read something like this. So let me start with the story. There's a very fascinating story of, uh, of King Kakudmin and his daughter, Revati. He has a very beautiful daughter called Revati. And uh, he has to decide whom to marry her off to from a range of suitors. Right? And uh, he can't make up his mind. So he decides to, he says, he will take Brahma's um, advice for it. So he goes to Brahmaloka. And Brahmaloka is far away from the earth. Right? The book actually describes it in some detail. And um, when he reaches Brahma Loka, he sees Brahma is, uh, is enjoying a musical performance there. Uh, so it would be inappropriate to interrupt, interrupt a musical performance. So he decides to wait. And uh, Brahmanda Purana says he waited for one Muhurta, right? Uh, for the performance to end. And when the performance ends, he goes to Brahma with folded hands and says, you know, this is my beautiful daughter and uh, I, I'm not sure how to marry her off, right? There are so many suitors. Can you give me a suggestion? And uh, Brahma laughs at him and he says, uh, and he says, in the 48 minutes that you waited with me, your entire, your entire kingdom, your race, your gotra, all your suitors and their races and their gotra and their kingdoms, everything has been wiped up. So don't even think about them anymore. Right in the in the forty in the one murta is forty eight minutes in the forty eight minutes that you have waited here, so he said in this time in this mahurta, uh, twenty seven chatur yugas have passed on the planet Earth. That is, is the forty eight minutes of Brahma. Of Brahma, right? right. He's, he's very explicit, right? The, even though it's described in a story, the the equa the equating is very explicit, and he says so. Let me let me give you some advice on what to do going forward. He says. Go down, go back to the go back to the earth, and you will find. Um, he, he calls it a ray of uh, Vishnu, uh, Balarama, Krishna's brother, uh, who's in the uh, who's in the Mahabharata, and he says, "Marry Revati off to him, right? And then that will be your, uh, you know, that will be the right thing for you to do." So King Kakumin and his daughter come back to earth, and as Brahma says, nobody has any recollection of them. Their kingdoms are lost, their palaces, everything has been gone. Nobody can recollect what they are talking about or what they are. So they go and introduce, introduce themselves to uh, Balarama and then the marriage, is, uh, marriage takes place. 
so this is a this is a phenomenal story right and this is not an in, this is not at all intuitive and let me kind of make a point here this is not like jules verne 100 years ago before submarines saying that well there is going to be uh, submarines below the water that's not what we are we are talking about a concept that even after einstein published it few scientists were willing to accept it right that is how unintuitive he was it was basically it says that time is a function of gravitation and it's a function of relative velocity that's what time dilation says in the special theory of relativity so i don't want to go into a lot of detail but let just to just to say that our gps systems wouldn't work because the satellites are in space which are in a region of low gravity and high speed right and so unless you correct for this this uh, this delta in in time everything would go haywire and so this is real this is not made up this is not just a scientific concept and it is described in and pretty amazing detail in two puranas it's also in the bhagavata purana and in the brahmanda purana so it's uh, so it's it's quite interesting the level of detail that's given here i was quite i was quite amazed actually <laughs> so um uh, uh, pause for a moment uh, audience please uh, you know type your questions in the q and a section so we look forward to that and uh, we would uh, ganesh would be able to take some questions we would have some discussions on them uh, back to back to our discussions ganesh uh, you know we are all familiar with the image of shiva with uh, you know ganga flowing through its uh, his That's matted good. hair and you know there is a discussion about the uh, descent of celestial ganga right? right and you talk about say that this uh, what puranic texts are talking about celestial ganga is actually aligned with the modern science on the topic of extraterrestrial origins of water yeah okay aliens or not but you're saying that there is this water <laughs> that we drink has extraterrestrial uh, origins right. and so the 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 image that we all see is uh, is not about a particular indian river but it's it's about how water came to earth right that's what that's what I, and i actually so, um, tell us ahead. more so this used to amaze me since i was a kid right i used to think we used to hear about the celestial ganga and we all know about the, the river that we all revere right respect and revere basically So where's the connection? Think, kind of? How is it something that can come from outer space and come to just this one river? You know, it used to amaze me. But the, so the, I just want to get something. You know, the Puranas are very explicit. They say the celestial Ganga came down to earth and filled up the waters of the ocean. So it's not just the holy river, but that the celestial Ganga is responsible for the waters of the planet in general. Right. So that's one thing I want to lay out there. the second thing i want to say is that the fact that the scientists accept that the water came from outer space is no longer in doubt it's not just a it's not just one of the theories out there they have sent out two space missions just for this purpose right so there is the the european space agency sent out what is called the herschel mission about um, about a decade ago just to search for extraterrestrial sources of water and they found enormous number of places where it, where water can come from yeah, i'm not going to go into detail and more recently the japanese space agency sent the hayabusa mission where they uh, they tried to get asteroid samples to check for this water and check for the as water content in asteroids so um so this is real right and so again there is actual research that's that's being taken place around it and and so on and so the current thinking is that that the water 
a lot of the water, not all the water, a lot of the water on the Earth's surface and the oceans and the rivers and so on came from outer space in the form of either asteroids or comets. So an asteroid is largely space rock with a little bit of water in it, whereas a comet is largely space water, which is ice with a little bit of dust in it, so mirror images of each other. And these are seen as originating uh, from a region around the, uh, on the, around the planetary disk called either the Kuiper Belt. The Kuiper Belt is a, is a, is a ring of space around, uh, beyond Neptune, basically. Just think of it as, these are also called trans-Neptunian objects. So objects which are found beyond the orbit of Neptune. So that's the Kuiper Belt, which is, uh, which is a large number of com uh, comets there. And, uh, and then you have much further out is a three-dimensional uh, cloud called the Oort cloud, which, which surrounds the entire solar system. And again, you have a lot of comets that originate from the Oort cloud as well. So these are the two regions that are, um, that, that are seen to be the origin of the water. <clears throat> now, if you look at the story that you just talked about, you talk about um, the, uh, the water being, so, water being stored in um, Shiva's matted locks. Now, how did it get there? So it's very, it's again, very explicit. It says, it says that the, the Puranas say that the water uh, came from beyond the Brahmanda, right? So billions of um, uh, kilometers away from here. And then as they came in, um, one of the stories goes is uh, uh, King Bhagirath, Ganga asks King Bhagirathi, if I come directly onto the planet, I will break the planet, right? And he's, so he prays to Shiva and he asks Shiva to hold this water in an intermediate region of space. And that, that matches very well with, with either the Oort cloud or the uh, Kuiper belt. So this seems to be this intermediate region of space that where the water, where the celestial Ganga is held from where it is released and then comes down to earth as water for the benefit of the planet. So um, there's a lot of detail around this. this is a very complex story because it, modern science only talks about its origin from the Kuiper belt or the wood cloud. It doesn't talk about where it came from beyond this or how, how the water came to be in this thing. And the Puranas actually have a view on it and where the water is originated from. And I find that, I find that, that I don't know whether it's true or false because there is no science that we can compare it against, right? I just want to be very clear. We want to follow the scientific method. We, as a, as a community of IITians, we want to you know, stay close to science. Um, so I can't validate that, but it is amazing that somebody, that ancients can even describe or even conceive of this level of detail in, in an ancient event like this. So I hope I was able to give you a sense. Maybe the readers that are interested can you know, read through it and it, it kind of describes itself over a few chapters in terms of how this thing uh, yeah, so so they should buy your book and read it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so so you know, uh, apart from the Ganga, uh, the other thing that we grew up with, you know, yeah. uh, iconic uh, thing is the Mount Meru. Correct. And you say that uh, you know uh, this is the North Pole. Correct. And you say that they also, and you you just now mentioned that. Uh, you know, from, from North Pole, the, you know, various continents and distances in, in an answer to a previous question. So, so, and it's definitely, you talk about it in the book. So how are the various continents and their locations described in the Puranas with respect to, right, right. to, the, uh, so like, to the Mount uh, Meru? Yeah. 
Right. Good, good point you make. So like I said in the earlier in an earlier slide, I said that they also talk about uh, the Americas, North America and South America, right? So uh, long before they were discovered. So, uh, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to imagine, I'm going to ask the listeners to imagine, draw a line very approximately from Kanyakumari going up north all the way to the North Pole. And on the other side of the earth, roughly, it's not precise, going all the way down to the tip of South America. Just imagine a, a, a region like that, right? a, a slice of the earth like that. Yeah, it's like a, a thread around a ball, right? A thread around the ball. Yeah, quite, quite, quite very well said. Nice analogy. So, and then the, then the Puranas describe all the Varshas or the continents in sequence. So the first one is the Bharata Varsha, then it's the Kimpurusha Varsha, then it's the Hari Varsha, then it's the Nilavrata Varsha, the Ramyaka Varsha, Hiranyaka um, Varsha, and then the Kuru Varsha. So you, you describe the entire range of continents from one side of the globe to the other side. And you can see that in the center, you have the, you have the Ilavrata Varsha, which has, the, um, which has Mount Meru on it. Right? It's described very clearly. Um, so, so you can see from the sequence of continents, it has further descriptions uh, about it as well. It talks about this is the region where the sun does not shine strongly. So you have to imagine that, you know, we have in on the, especially in the equator, we have the overhead sun or on the top, in the tropics, we have the overhead sun. Once you go to the North Pole, you just have the sun coming up the horizon during the day, and then it goes away uh, for the night, right? For the rest, for six months of the year. And so, um, and so it describes very well, it says, this is an area where the sun does not shine strongly, right? It's, it, it describes that very clearly, the Ilavrata Varsha. And then it also says that the day, and so the Devas are described as the residents of Ilavrata Varsha, or specifically Mount Meru. And what it says is that a day of the Devas is equal to a year of the rest of the planet. So you can see if you're in the North Pole, if you're a resident of the North Pole or you're living on the North Pole, during the course of one year, you will see one sunrise and one sunset. So that means you will see essentially the whole of the year will be equal to a day physically, right? Uh, from your experience standpoint, but for somebody else elsewhere in the planet will be a full year. So I thought there was, a, so this, these three things pointed specifically, but if you look at the rest of the description of the, of the earth, um, it becomes fairly obvious. And actually, if you talk to some of your, uh, some of the scholars in, um, of the previous generation, like, uh, like a parent or even grandparent if they are alive, they'll be very clear. They say, I am Mount Meru is, uh, is the North Pole. They may not be able to articulate it very well in terms of uh, why it is. So, uh, the book goes into a lot of detail in describing the, both, the, uh, both the Earth's shape and size, but also on the various continents of the Earth. Uh, thanks, uh, Ganesh. And uh, you also talk about the various races of the people and their... Yeah, that's very good. I, I, and that's what I... Actually, that's, I'm glad you got that up. Uh, that's why I, I was trying to say that it's, it, it's not just this one thing. For example, it describes the, when I talked about the, the, uh, the continents from Bharata Varsha, then above it is Kim Purusha Varsha. And Kim Purusha Varsha is the, um, by this formulation, uh, is the uh, Tibetan and the Chinese uh, part of the, of the planet. And it's described, it describes its residents as, as being of golden color, which is the, you know, right. a good description of the Mongoloid people that are, uh, that are resident there. 
Beyond that, you have the um, Hari version, which is basically uh, Caucasians uh, that are living there uh, on top. Um, beyond that, you have the Ilavrata, where you do not have a lot of people living. It doesn't describe, it basically describes the Devas. And then specifically about the uh, Kimpurusha Varsha, it talks about the Gobi Desert and the Taklamakan Desert, right? And Taklamakan Desert, it says, these, say, these are the regions where the Lord does not shower any rain. So it talks about the deserts in the Kimpurusha Varsha. But very importantly, it talks about the underground rivers, uh, channels of water in the Taklamakan Desert, which is a very unique feature to that part of the earth. Mm -hmm. it's, I, I don't believe it's found anywhere else in the planet. And so it kind of anchors that description of the Kimpurusha Varsha very well. So if you look at a lot of the data that is given and you put it all together, it's very explicit in terms of where they are coming to uh, in, the, in the Puranas. Right. So, um, Ganesh, uh, there's a one question which has uh, come up in the Q&A, which is just related to because we're talking about people and the, and the uh, races uh, right now and, you know, the description of the people. So one of the questions just related to that, and we'll take up other questions as we move okay. along, yeah. uh, is do Puranas make reference to the creation and evolution of man or homo sapiens? That's from Pradeep Menon. Uh, the answer is yes. Right? So there is a so the, our current creation is called the creation of um, Marichi, or um, basically it, it evolved from Kashyapa, right? Kashyapa, right. Kashyapa and Aditi. So there is a very elaborate description about the creation of of men. Now, um, two things. First thing is I was interested in cosmology, so I focused on cosmology, and I had an interest in cosmology from school, right? So I focused on cosmology. These are biological descriptions, right? And I, I don't claim to be, I have to study it. Maybe I'll, I'll get my head around it slowly. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I want to make sure that, that we have a good scientific explanation before I talk about it. And I couldn't find a good enough scientific explanation. I just want to leave it at that. But yes, there are elaborate descriptions about the origin of animals um, in, the, in the book. In, in the book, I talk about the origin of plants, which is very fascinating. And I don't want to get into it now unless there's a specific question. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot that there is uh, that is given. There is an enormous wealth of detail. And, you know, it's like uh, I, I, I was thinking about this. It's like you go into a forest to do an exploration. Suddenly you, you know, you clear a few plants and then you see one stone and you see another stone. And it's like, my God, this is the whole city. And you realize that you can't understand this all by yourself. You need a whole team of people. <laughs> so I am trying to bring back to, to the audience here what I found as an individual, right? I'm sure there's a lot more people that can put their heads together and we can get to the bottom of this thing. Uh, no, that's, that's a very valid point, actually. Uh, you know, uh, just to take a pause from the Q&A. Uh, yeah. What you have done with your research and writing the book is yeah. you have contributed to the conversation about it That's and it. what you're now saying is that you're welcoming other people also Absolutely. to do they take up their own you know research and you know come and add to the conversation Absolutely. and that's how this knowledge will will grow Absolutely. right Absolutely. very well said thank you very much for articulating that banker um the the puranas are an ocean right and to to say that one guy can go in and kind of figure it all is almost arrogant so i don't want to leave anybody with that feeling but i yeah. think we now have a good enough framework that we can get our head around and say, yes, there is something of consequence here. Let's try and figure, maybe we can put more heads together and figure out what's going on here. Very right. well said. So Thanks of course, there's, there's one more question whether it's available on Indian Amazon. I, you already answered that. It is. Yes, yeah. it is available, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's let's come down to something a little more 
lighter stuff um, yeah. and then and then you'll take up more questions from the okay. uh, from from the Q&A right um you know you you have said a couple of times that purana describe uh, various uh, cosmic phenomena either factually or allegorically and one of the things that you have described is the story of the moon marrying 27 daughters of daksha you know etc etc so these are not stories about polygamy right <laughs> I, i let me let me clarify here. very good question so a lot of us are familiar with this story right because there was a very popular television serial a couple of decades back you know based on the shiva purana which talked about you know the son marrying 20s having 27 wives and spending all his time with one wife and you know getting cursed for it like so this is 20 years ago and i'm like why would we have a story where you know one person has 27 wives and spends all his time with one even if that person is divine But anyway i said well maybe i don't understand it said so just move on so there are other things to do uh, <clears throat> but there's a very um there's a very very simple way of looking at it right so the the moon orbits the earth the orbital cycle of the moon is 27.3 days so the mm-hmm. moon, it takes 27.3 days for the moon to orbit the earth right mm-hmm. and so the nearest whole number is 27 right and so the nakshatra system of the of the uh, of, of of indian not just puranas the indian nakshatra system of indian astronomy is based around this 27 nakshatras so so every so basically as it moves around the circle just like just like uh, the face of a clock is divided into 12 parts the nakshatra system uh, divides the f- the movement of this moon into 12, 27 different nakshatras so the position for the moon on the sky is marked up against a specific nakshatra you know it says okay uh, each day it will be with a specific nakshatra and move on so if you can only look at the nakshatra and the moon at dawn right because during the um uh, and you can see both of uh, you can see both of them or or at night yeah so basically because during the day the moon you can see neither the moon nor the stars so every morning at dawn you will see the moon rising up in the vicinity of one of the nakshatras right and it will go nakshatra by nakshatra for each of the 27 days of the lunar month so you can say that if the moon early in the morning can be seen against a nakshatra that means it quote and quote spent the night with that nakshatra and if it spent the night with that nakshatra the nakshatra must be the wife and if that nakshatra is the wife then the moon married 27 wives and so every day you see it again with a new nakshatra so the moon has 27 wives and treats all its wives equally but this is just the the front end of the description of the moon the story of the moon is a very comp- the origin of the moon is a very complex phenomenon and uh, if there are if some of the readers are interested in it the puranas have a very nuanced description and a phenomenally detailed description about this and i'd urge them to kind of read it and uh, and share their thoughts like I, you said it's a beginning of a conversation rather than definitive and this is not something that even modern science has nailed completely there are two or three hypotheses and none of the hypothesis can explain all the data completely right so that's where right. we are right now yeah right so so, so, so the, you know uh, that point brings us to one of the questions uh, out here you know you have 
more than once you have said that you know the the puranas especially the brahmanda purana give a lot of details about the sun the moon the stars and Correct. you know and our wave and so on and so forth so one pointed question i have from uh, mr rati uh, nk rati is um, you know does this purana or maybe i can add that any other purana mention the dimensions of sun earth and details of space you know space because i do remember we earlier having talked about that you know they 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 give those distances in yojanas and which yeah, are comparable yeah. and so on yeah. uh, and maybe you could uh, you know we we had it in our private conversation earlier yeah. uh, so so maybe this is a place where you can tell uh, you know mr rati and the audience in general how close these dimensional estimates were you know in factors so um so uh good question really good question um so there is a whole chapter on this in the in the in the in the book right but i'll try and summarize this as briefly as i can so the first question does it describe the uh, diameter of the earth yes it describes the diameter of the earth you have to read it in a very nuanced fashion but it describes it and the book actually tells you how to compute it right so it 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 shows you and it's i think with within a 10% uh, 10 to 15 percent um, accuracy, which I think is phenomenal for a text of this uh, of this uh, a day and age, right? A, a day and age. So that's one thing. It describes the distance to the moon, right? Uh, the Surya Siddhanta describes the distance to the moon. So I look at the Surya Siddhanta and the Puranas as one body of knowledge. They both coexist at the same time. The Surya Siddhanta for the scholars and the Puranas for the people, um, ordinary. <laughs> right we, we, and so yeah. between the two of them they describe the distance of the moon again within 15% or 10% like i can't recall specifically uh, they describe the diameter of the moon again within 10 to 15% um, they describe the distance to the sun about okay. 20% so and then because um, you have a unique situation where the sun and the moon have the same angular this thing which is why in a lunar eclipse or in a solar eclipse the moon completely covers the Uh, the disk of the sun. So, if you know the diameter dimension of the moon and the distance and the two distances, you can compute the distance of the of the sun, of the diameter of the sun. So, there's a lot of detail that's available that's there, and uh, and I encourage uh, Mr. Arti to you know go in and do some more research of his own as well. I'm very glad that he's interested in this area, and I'm sure he can. You know, I'm sure. His his inquiry will make some more contribution. So, uh, so 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 those. you know uh, pretty close approximations and yeah. this is given the fact that now what we had the data that we have is with like radio telescopes and absolutely, what have you right absolutely. right so 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 those were like we don't even know whether they had instruments to, to calculate yeah. it or they just they had astronomical observations by which they 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 use this and so on and so forth so yeah we will we will take a few more questions from there but you know one more thing uh, because one of the things um uh that 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 you did talk about in the book but like uh, many of us uh, come across in our daily lives and i think that's what i wanted to 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 link it up that you know uh we talk many of these things we talk about as if like like this is very far and so on and so forth and this is stories and so on but one of the things that you brought up and um uh from that it sort of it alerted me to this that hey you know these are things that have been incorporated into our daily life just that we are not conscious of it right uh in our prayers religious ceremonies you know for some of some people who may be 
more uh, doing those daily nitya karma daily prayers and so on and so forth or even if you do periodically any any prayer any puja actually and the priest will get it started with or you you started with yourself with something called a sankalpa right and or sometimes they don't mention it in a in a temple or elsewhere but you know that it is and you start with something mantras which go like this swetavaraha kalpe vaivasuta manmantare ashtavimshati tame pratame vate and then actually then they specifically mention about india too like jambu dive bharatavashe bharatakhande meroho dakshine parse so now you just spoke about meru and then south of it right and then it goes on to asmin vartamane vyavaharike prabhavadi sashti samvatsaranam matye so it goes on to like like right now right for some of the words that i'm picking up from there right. so tell us like so are these connecting us like our prayers we start with a scale of time of billions of years if i if i connect all the dots which right, you right. have now laid out right right and then they bring us to this moment in time every right. time we do a prayer <laughs> good question uh, okay let me back up a little bit good question there let me back up a little bit uh, the word sankalpa means resolve or determination right so sure. basically instead of just saying oh i just said a mantra or a shloka or something you start by saying i plan to i i am i resolve to carry out this ritual or this function or this shloka at this time at this place right makes sense right and you think that okay this time probably means calendar time and if it's not the gregorian calendar it probably vikramaditya calendar or something you realize when you when you read this thing it is actually talking about time from the beginning of creation of the beginning of the life of brahma so let me give you an example so it says um, it says it starts with swetavaraha kalpe so the swetavaraha kalpa is is about 1.95 or 1.97 billion years old right and um, i'm not making it up you anybody can go in and open a purana and do the like middle school arithmetic right so it's not a very complicated stuff so it starts with swetavaraha kalpe uh, and then it says dvitiya parardhe which means the second half of the life of brahma the first kalpa in the second half of the life of brahma and the life of brahma is in trillions of years i don't want to get into that it's a whole different discussion in itself then it says uh it says the vaivasvata manmantra because there are um this is the seventh manmantra in this kalpa each manmantra is about 200 million uh, 300 million years so uh, so you know six of them will be one um 1.8 million years a uh, 1.8 billion years and then this is the kali yuga This is the twentieth Chaturyuga. Um, Ashtavimshati, right? Ashtavimshati. This is the twentieth Chaturyuga. It is the Kaliyuga of the twentieth Chaturyuga. The Kaliyuge. Then the first quarter of that Kaliyuga, Prathame Pathe. Right. And you kind of wonder what's going on here. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> and then they go down to the year. You know, uh, so many, and then the month, and then the so the year, the. ayana the ritu the month the week the day of the week the tithi and and it is it is just amazing that means basically what they've done is they've taken the entire system of calendaring and put it into the beginning of a sankalpa so that it's never forgotten right you may not realize you are saying it but you keep saying it over and over so that imagine 2000 years ago somebody was saying the same exact same sankalpa only with the you know on a different time last portion changed last portion changed right 
And that is a that's a that's a mind altering thought, right? When you kind of think of it. Yeah. So right? so that sounds to me like a universal date and time stamp, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And more personalized on the prayer as to you add your location, right? Correct, correct, South correct. of. the north pole mount yeah, yeah, meru yeah. i'm in yeah. india and i'm doing yeah, this yeah. prayer and yeah, like yeah. like uh, you know vindhyasya uttare you know not yeah, or yeah. if you're in singapore then we say simhapuri dweepe yeah, and yeah. you modify and so on yeah. so so like absolute sort of date time place yeah. stamp on it yeah and and you and again it's again it so so um, let me add one more thing here so yes it's a date time stamp and it starts from the beginning not only of the current kalpa every kalpa is a cycle of creation right so when the kalpa ends basically everything ends so all the puranic stories are contained inside a kalpa right there is very little knowledge of a prior kalpa i mean maybe one or two shloka that you can find up in older kalpa that's it right very little knowledge of a prior kalpa this talks about the beginning of the life of brahma so 50 years of brahma's life before that and then and i and i was thinking about this once and i thought you know we have our dharma right we have our duties we have our responsibilities and we take them seriously and we you know do what we do to take care of our families our loved ones you know and so on and so forth but at the end of the day we are individuals right one one of billions of people in a universe that has lasted for a couple of billion years or trillions of years and i think what it does i i thought for me right what it does philosophically is that it puts me in some kind of perspective in terms of this overall cosmic activity right and we still have to do what we have to do yeah that because that's our dharma but i think we should step a little lightly and take it take ourselves a little slightly less seriously and uh, that will serve us probably well as we kind of uh, you know deal with the ups and downs of life so yeah so so very very well said that like i also feel that like like it making it part of everyday prayer that kind of reminds you that do good to your family to your society etc right. but don't get too carried away right. about your noble actions because in the great cycle of time this is right. just a tiny moment and a tiny <laughs> act in the whole universe so kind of a humbling reminder very right? humbling very well said very well and i I take that away, and uh, the book doesn't talk about philosophy. But I think if there's any philosophy, this is one piece that kind of jumped across to me, and I said, "Okay, I know my place in the universe. That doesn't mean I have to do anything less. I have to work less hard or anything. But it's nice to know that life will go on one way or the other." So right. awesome. So there, there, there are lots of lots of questions, and we will take uh, you know some more. Uh, so some more questions from the audience, and but but that's a sort of a. Good uh, humbling thought to to sure. end our discussions and move sure, on sure, to sure. take yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so so uh, one of the things is um, I'm, I'm not uh, sure like, I didn't see this in your book but uh, uh, there's a question about uh, avatar of Lord Sarbeshwara yes yeah uh, substantiated so so reference to the sarpas mean that we feel the we feel the avatar of lord sarbeshwara is substantiated i believe will you agree is one of the questions from lakshmikanthan yes it is actually uh, it is uh, it is very well substantiated actually the book also writes about it in, it's a very small piece just a couple of paragraphs it talks mm-hmm. about the uh, lord sarbeshwara and um, i i it's a whole discussion i mean it's it's two or three uh, paragraphs that gives a lot of detail behind it mm-hmm. but the the, uh, uh, the 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 question is very valid and it's absolutely right it's, it, the book validates that in some and some detail 
and this is a this is an avatar of lord shiva that's been lost for all practical purposes if you talk to if you actually even right. talk to me i would not know about it in spite of having temples to the lord sarabeshwara in a few places in the south but it's not very well but uh, it's mentioned very clearly in the puranas and i draw a linkage between that and you know what the mythic it the translation of the saraba the animal saraba is that it's always translated as a mythical animal mm-hmm. so the um, so the attempt in the book has been to translate that myth and what it must be I, mean, i i i want to leave that to a reader right now i don't want to get into more detail okay very valid question right so so there have been quite a few people you know uh, who have asked this question about like you know did you really read the puranas right I mean, uh-huh. you don't look you don't you don't look that purana so so people are wondering like whether you really read the purana right like like so ye kya bol kya raha hai ye so anyway so so anyway so do, so you can tell us like what puranas and you know where do you get them and then like maybe you can throw in about motilal banarsidas they then then they aunty ka ye kuch padha likha hai you know like 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 after we got our degrees then only our family started saying ha kuch padha likha hai so so like that thoda sa but but before that i wanted to you know interestingly this is question has come from a from a youngster um, yeah. uh, uh, a, a student of mine which is which are, then i think you can answer both of these things wonderful, relatively wonderful, so i'll i'll put that question and then you know you combine it with the other questions okay. so what are the differences and i you i know that you talk about it in your book the main differences between puranas vedas and upanishads okay uh, and like sort of and then you know how do they correlate with modern science or uh, and why did you choose on puranas only and then like other people have asked that like hey you know which puranas did you really read okay right so, so this is a, so let me break up this there's a lot that going on in a couple of pages <laughs> yeah i also club to be fair they did not like question but i thought they were all context yeah they were they have, yeah so they are part of a so a couple of things first thing is that we have if the if you look at the what we generally consider as the corpus of texts right they are basically two there is the there's the shruti which is the vedas there is the smriti which is the puranas and then mm-hmm. there is the itihasa which is history right which is basically mahabharata and ramayana so these are the three big bodies and of course brahmana this is a whole body of work right so i am just taking a subset of this entire body of work. this is the most probably visible body of work to to a lot of us mm-hmm. so um so the vedas are shruti which means they are heard right the puranas are smriti and it is surprising that some of these events are described as smriti means something that you've experienced how do you experience the life cycle of the sun right so that's the first thing that kind of jumped up me is like that doesn't make sense but anyway i can i let, let me put that aside let me first find out what's going on here and then you have the itihasa which is the history itself now the upanishad is a is a subordinate text to the vedas so upanishad um, means feet to mean it sits at the feet of the vedas Mm. right so um so the upanishads are commentaries in the, the guru or somebody is yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to that you, yeah that you learn about more about the yeah. vedas right the vedas are very complex texts the puranas are described by the puranas as being science mm. okay so uh, there's a verse in the padma purana which says that um the veda the, the veda when they say veda they mean, mean the entire text got given um by 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 vishnu to lord brahma and then it says the purana became the source of all the sciences so the it actually talks about puranas in the context of science right i it should have maybe mentioned that earlier on so the puranas have a lot of science right it, it's just that 
it, for example, it has astrology. It has astrology and astronomy. Now we look at as we look at Indian. We don't know. We don't realize that Indian astronomy is very rich, very very rich. Let, let me give you an example. So today, when we predict an eclipse, we get you know we run we use fancy computers to run. You know it's going to be available visible here at this date at this time. You know from this time to so on so forth. Right? Maybe with NASA as well. What did we do a hundred years ago before there was NASA? We used to do this manually, manually, not even a computer, right? We used to do it manually in India, and they would predict which parts of the world you could see the eclipse in. How was this known, right? So there is a there's a lot of astronomy that was known from then. Only the thing is, it got also the more visible part of it was astrology, which is a very subjective thing, right? It's like management science, right? And so, it, different people have different opinions on it, and because it got Everything got clubbed up together, and they said, "Oh, it's not a science." And so the astronomy also got thrown away with it. So there is very good astronomical science, which I honestly don't understand fully because I'm not a student of astronomy. I hope to be at some point in time, uh, which talks about the science of astronomy. And there's the science of music, the science of medicine. There's such a lot of science in the Puranas; it is amazing. Um, in terms of how did I start reading it, uh, it's a very very interesting story. I, I was actually talking to a friend. That, I don't know if he's on the call right now. He said he might join, and um, he told me that uh, you know he was reading a book on the epic of Gilgamesh. I, I don't know if many of you have heard of that book. It's a it's a story. One of the sub stories of the epic of it's an Egyptian story, um, Egyptian text. One of the sub stories about the great flood. There's a story description of the great flood in it, and he said he was going to read it. And I said, Oh, Machya Purana also <laughs> without having ever having read it. So anyway, he said he's going to read it. I said I'll start reading the Matsya Purana, and I bought myself the Matsya Purana. I had now committed myself to it, right, to a friend, and I found it absolutely fascinating. So I read the Matsya Purana. After that, I read the Shiva Purana, the Bhagavata Purana, the Brahmanda Purana, the um, Kalika Purana, the Devi Purana, and uh, I'm halfway through the Markandeya Purana. So I read all of these end to end, and. Uh, I have researched the others, right? For example, if I want to know about the story of the sun or the story of the moon, I go into the Padma Purana and find out all the stories of the sun. So I haven't read the whole of the Padma Purana or the Skanda Purana, but I go back, go and read specific parts of it. So and yes, you read them in English, right? I read all of them in English. Thank you. So, so the English translations of there are English translations. And so the government of India in 1950s, what it did was it sponsored a board of scholars. Right, so these were scholars of Sanskrit scholars and scholars in various fields to go and start translating the Puranas. Right, and so they, so this is a, this is a, this is a solid body of work. It was like you said, uh, a print uh, published by Motilal Banasi Das. But a lot of most people don't read it, so it's completely out of print. Nobody bothers to read them anymore, so it's out of print. And so, after the first two or three Puranas, I had to. Download the Purana from the internet and print the whole thing end to end, and then read it because I was fascinated. Right to my, I, I just thought it was you know probably the best way to spend my time and money. Mm -hmm. So I printed a lot of these things, read them, and then came to the conclusions that I did. So yeah, I read a lot, and uh, I don't think I'm I'm done. I would like to read some more. <laughs> okay, so so Purana meets HP printers. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> so, so th th there's another question which is very interesting. Is that is there work going on right now? You know, to validate to use use the question words from the question, leaning on the Puranas to develop new or alternative hypothesis. Who is doing that? 
My guess is not. My guess is not because you know um, because every time I talk about this to an audience, they are surprised. And I'm talk and I'm talking to a you know I'm talking to IITs here. I talk to scholars, right? People who have been in academia for a long period of time. They see this and they're like, you know, what what's going on here? Like, I can't believe what's going. So I can't imagine that um, it is it is the source of hypothesis. At the end of the day, for it to be science, it has to become a hypothesis. Then you test that hypothesis and validate or invalidate it. I don't think it's gone to that phase. Hopefully, as this discussion you know gains momentum, maybe uh, it gets more people, and you know what what has been suggested is likely to happen. So, so you mentioned that you downloaded some of the Puranas uh, from, from from modern internet, internet right? Uh, not so Purana printout. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's a question from Mr. Sengupta. Then Sengupta is asking like, um, was, was Surya Siddhanta, where do we get it from? Or oh, is it available oh, on the internet? On the internet? I, actually, um, so I, instead of just making a generic statement, there is a, uh, there's a website called archive.org. And I right. recommend people to go to that site. It so is a, I repeat archive.org. Yeah, or, or, yeah. It is a treasure. It's an absolute treasure, right? And these people do it for free. So if there are some very wealthy contributors, just help them because you will find practically every single ancient Indian text in digital form in this website. And it's run out of the US and I contribute once in a while as I can, but it, it's like Wikipedia, it just runs on public funds, right? People just contribute, there's no government funding, no, no, no sponsors, no advertising, no nothing. It's an amazing site. And I'd strongly recommend people going in and you'd be amazed at what you can find. Right. So, so there's also uh, something that uh, I think we had, uh, not put in our main uh, questions for discussion. That question has come up here. So about uh, Polestar, the Dhruvatara and the precision, you know, with which they had this. So, so we had talked about, you know, you have in your book, you're talking about the precision calculations. So, so you have something on to comment on this? I'm not sure I followed the question. So the question is about uh, Dhruvatara, Polestar and, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, the precision with which some of these uh, Ah, okay. So I got so confused. What's your with take what? on this? Yeah. 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 I, I got confused with precision and precession, which is the movement of. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My, <laughs> my, my, my mistake. Precession. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I read it wrongly. Switching between, like, uh, toggling between the thick questions and the uh, screen. I made P R E C E S S I O N. Okay. My so apologies. Is, my apologies. So I, I have not. So I'm not a student of astronomy, right? So okay. I want to say this. I know that there is a precession of the Earth. It, uh, the Puranas talk about in the various um, stages, it talks about different gods and, and so on and so forth. But I have not been able to, I have not been able to find more specific references to procession. And maybe I have to do some more work around this, but not in the Puranas, I have not yet been able to find. Mm -hmm. But um, I would. So I, I would hazard a guess that it probably is there because the amount of detail, I'll give you an example, right? Um, the shape of the earth is not very clearly delineated in the Puranas. It's not, right? Okay. Right? Um, I, I'm going to give you just a very personal experience. And then I'm going through this thing and I'm thinking, so the Puranas talk about the sun, they talk about the moon. How is it that they have no clue about the planet earth that we all live on? I mean, it just doesn't add up, right? It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. So I had, what I had to do was I had to print out references to the earth 
in Matya Purana, in Brahmanda Purana, three or four. And I would read it over and over and over again for a few, because it, it wasn't obvious to me, right? And then suddenly I said, okay, now I understand what's going on. And so similarly, some amount of work, probably if what somebody else does, or you know, maybe I can do it myself, I'm sure we will understand the precession. At this stage, it's not obvious. So good question. I just don't have an answer yet. Right. So there, there are some, uh, you know, uh, more, uh, I mean, when you have IITNs and, you know, people of uh, similar, similar, similar background, there are some high funda questions also <laughs> from IITNs and non-IITNs. Uh, so okay. are there things like dark matter, string theory? Uh, so so, so I, I don't in, 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 in the Puranas, in, in, did you come across exactly. any of those things? So, so let, let me say, there is a lot in the Puranas that we don't understand. Okay. There is a lot in modern science that we don't understand. Okay. Are these two the same? I have no mm-hmm. idea. Right. right. So at this stage, without evidence to hazard a guess would be almost irresponsible. To my mind, right? But uh, right. so maybe right. I'd leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't be more conclusive than that. Maybe. Right. right. So, so you describe, you know, when you, you scared everybody off, you know, when you talked about the sun expanding and, uh, you know, earth coming closer to the sun and so, 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 so there, there are a couple of questions is vinasha sure to happen when sun comes closer to the Absolutely. earth but i mean 2020 we, we are scared of 2020 but like just assure us that this is not anywhere nearby right? <laughs> we are a couple of we are at least five billion four three to five billion years away so we can we can relax for a little yeah. time right right okay cool so i know we've taken a lot of time there, there are um, awesome questions uh yeah so is there a scientific parallel to the concept of 14 lokas on the one hand we have this question and yeah. on the other hand you know people are like like in uh, you know, modern science fiction inception matrix you know, are there comparisons? So, so you, let's I, start with the I, I, I leave it with you between Lokas and Inception and you you cover everything in between. <laughs> so a couple of things. First thing is, um, let's start with the Lokas. The Lokas are very, uh, are very material, right? I mean, you can kind of, you can, you, you can talk, they are physical, they are, they are physical, unlike Inception, which happens in somebody's dreams, inside somebody's dreams and so on, right? right. Uh, I was actually very fascinated by what I discovered about the Lucas, right? And mm-hmm. uh, um, and so first thing is, the, the, there are two sets of Lokas, the 14 Lokas, there are seven Deva Lokas and seven Pathala Lokas. Mm. The seven Deva Lokas are basically, um, the seven Lokas about the surface are the Bhu Loka, Bhur Loka, Swar Loka, Jan Loka, Mahar Loka, Tapa Loka, and Brahma Loka, right? Mm. So this is the sequence that, that we have. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, the Puranas talk about the Dhruvatara as at the top of the celestial regions, it means the top of Swarga Loka. That means mm-hmm. beyond Swarga Loka, you have the Janloka, Mahaloka, and Tapaloka. Mm-hmm. What is fascinating is this, right, about this, about this description. It says that the regions of, especially uh, uh, Janaloka and Tapaloka, are, uh, are untouched by the sun when, when it dies. Mm. Now, you might think, oh, you know, in, in, or it describes it as the souls are, you know, they live through a kalpa. Sorry, let me kind of rephrase that. It says it lives through a kalpa and this kalpa is the death of the sun. So basically, these are, whatever is in this area is untouched when the sun dies, collapses, mm-hmm. right? Basically, mm-hmm. becomes a becomes a white war when it collapses. 
And these, if you look at the actual distance, they are just outside what is called the gravitational influence of the sun. That means if anything were to happen, if the sun were to collapse, there would be little or no influence in this universe. So it could be a coincidence. I don't know, right? But it seems to be an amazing coincidence if there's a coincidence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, um, so that's, and then it talks about the, uh, it talks about the Janaloka and the Mahalo, uh, Tapaloka in this fashion. And then it's the Brahmaloka, which is the, which is the region of Brahma, which is, uh, which is where we talked about time dilation and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it's useful to talk, I mean, you look at, in science, you look at these areas. So when I'm saying it doesn't, it's basically what it says is that the gravitational force of the sun is balanced out by the gravitational force of the surrounding stars. So basically the net gravitational force is zero at that point. Okay? We think of space, you know, near space, uh, which is just about 20, 30 kilometers, 100 kilometers from here as having zero gravity. It's not, it has gravity. There's a gravity of the earth, there's a gravity of the sun, the moon, and so on. You really have to go that far out into space to get into zero gravity. So that's one. So the book talks about it in some sense. And uh, actually, since I've written the book, I have discovered a lot more. And I don't know if there will be an opportunity to update the book and talk about that. But yeah. what is really interesting is about the Padala Loka, right? It is we can we can we have a perception of what um, the um, the, the space is, right? The, the loka, lokas above us. None of us has any clue. Actually, I had no clue about Pada. I used to keep thinking, looking at, oh, it's probably a deep hole in the ground or something, or, or a dark place or hot place or something like that. And uh, there's a lot of analysis in the book that goes into that. I think it's, I, I thought it was a good, fun read, that, that part of the analysis. I realized we are almost one and a half hours into this discussion, yeah. so I don't want to go into a lot of detail. But yeah, yeah, not to Patala Loka, right? But but trust me, I've I've read his book. Trust me, there's a lot of description of Patala Loka. Not Patala. too scary, so but yeah, yeah, I'm not scary. That's quite fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they're pretty uh, like like uh, parallel to the this thing. Yeah. So this, this is this is not uh, any uh, stories of mythology and to right. scare off kids in the night. So yeah, um, there have been quite a few questions. Again, uh, availability of the book on Amazon. It is available. Amazon Ganesh ebook also is available. Kindle, Kindle reader is also available. Available. So Kindle version is also available uh, for those in Singapore. Uh, you know, Hugs uh, Epigram Cafe in URA building will have the print copies, but but yeah, so so choose your uh, versions to read. So quite a few people have asked. English versions of Purana, Purana Puranas are available on archive.org or org. So one, uh, I know it's 90 minutes. So one interesting question. Um, I know there are lots of questions. I'm going to be sort of like, you know, some people may be upset uh, that I'm missing some questions. But you mentioned Puranas at the opening that they talk about testing. So Ajita from you know from Singapore has this question: Are there testing protocols in Purana? This is a hardcore audience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so and so so there is a whole. Let me back up a bit. There is a whole school of what is called epistemology. Mm -hmm. uh, of how to approach knowledge, mm -hmm. right? So when you say testing, you are testing for knowledge, not testing for internet protocols or printer software or things like that. You're testing for how do you approach knowledge in, in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, few of us realize that India has a phenomenally well-developed uh, sense of this. Phenomenally well-developed. I'd, I'd refer to a series of podcasts called 
the history of Indian philosophy. It's by, by it's on available on uh, Apple and I'm sure it's available on Google as well. It's by Janardhan Ganeri. And it talks about the richness of philosophy that, and some of it is Buddhist and some of it is Hindu and so on. So both sides of, all the sides have contributed to it. But uh, there is an incredible amount of richness in this. And so it not only approaches what is knowledge, but how do you validate a knowledge? How do you understand what is knowledge? Mm -hmm. And so it has its own sets of rules on what constitutes knowledge. And to my mind, that is a testing protocol, right? You want to test for whether you, what you are being exposed to is real or is made up. Basically. So mm -hmm. it has it at that level. I don't know it has it at uh, any, any different level. So very good question. I'm glad you brought that up. Right. So, you know, once again, we're thankful to our sponsors, uh, ICICI Bank uh, Limited, uh, Optimum Solutions Limited, who are gold sponsors, silver sponsors, HDFC, uh, Hugs, Epigram, Stratagile, Agrood, uh, for supporting this event as well as other events. I know we are at the, like, cross the 90-minute mark, so uh, and there are still a lot of fascinating questions. Maybe we could, uh, you know, compile and send them to, 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 to Ganesh. But thank you, Ganesh, for taking time out and uh, you know sharing your insights from of, from your both your research as well as interesting gems from your book uh, from the beginning of time modern science and puranic universe you know your passion for the subject came out in the discussions in the q and a so though we covered the you know the sun moon and the stars from nanometer to light years and fraction of a millisecond to billions of years uh, friends, there is much more to these things, uh, you know, in uh, than these actually in Ganesh's book, as you could uh, see some of those things which could, we could bring it up in the uh, uh, your Q and A. But there's a lot more that we could cover, you know, than what we could cover in 90 minutes. So I'll encourage uh, you know all those interested to buy this book and read it, and more so like Ganesh himself says, you know read the Puranas themselves also and contribute to the, to the discussions. So we have an awesome audience in you. So, so, you know, and you can see how it aligns with modern astronomy, other fields of science and so on. So, Kanesh? No, I, 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 first thing is, first off, you, Venkat, thanks for taking the time to read the book, right? I mean, for you, it was My like, pleasure. okay, this is another book. No. <laughs> time to read it, to, uh, to kind of get into the, into the guts of the book and you know, frame the questions that you did. Uh, thanks to the IIT Alumni Association and thanks to the audience because and I, I, I realize I'm speaking to a, to a hardcore audience. Like yeah, yeah, IITNs and the <laughs> association was very nice to throw it open to everybody. Yeah, so so we have got a lot of intellectual people and interested people yeah. uh, bringing so some I, of them probably are with families. Uh, yeah, and I think if we can crowdsource some of the thinking around this, right? I don't think this is a, I, what I want to do is to just kind of give a glimpse of what all it contains. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. if we can crowdsource this and also have some sense of, you know, make sure that, the, I mean, it's, it's Unless you're careful, you can run off in 20 different directions and not have any, you know, any core. Sure. But sure. if you can have some discipline around it, I, I'm sure between us and I, not just myself, but between the larger community, I think we can rediscover the depth of this, uh, this treasure of knowledge. That we have. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, and I think it'll. And it's not. I mean, it's not just an Indian thing. Knowledge is knowledge. It benefits everybody across the world, across religions, across faiths, across genres. 
thanks again to you venkat thanks again to iitl association no like you said thanks thanks to the great audience here thank you all for joining without you all like this event would not have been possible at all right so please stay connected for future Uh, high high quality events like this so you had an experience from iit alumni association singapore thanks to the iit exco especially the events team led by krish and others uh, you guys have been absolutely awesome so till next time this is venkat signing off thank you everyone